The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, quit forwarding links to this week's Mondays and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 282 with guests Rocky Latka and Anthony Handley, recorded live Monday, October 8th, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and now, bringing world-class expert-led training in C-Sharp, ASP.NET, VB.NET, SharePoint, BizTalk, Team System, and Workflow Foundation on-site to your development team. Details online at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, providing the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com and by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com And now, the man who says in his next life, he wants more memory installed, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin here with you. Richard Campbell's out there. Hey, Richard. Hey, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I love a Thursday. Means it's almost Friday. Yes, sir. We're just uh, slogging our way through the week here, and uh, we'll start things off with uh, Better No Framework. Excellent. So, what do you got for me? Well, this week we're going to talk about um, a structure that actually has code in it. Did you know that structures can have code? I think I did. Yeah. I don't think I've ever done it. That was one of those factoids that you learned at uh, .NET Boot Camp. Right. You know? Well, uh, as you know, a structure is a value type that uh, sort of has class-like uh, features. Right. You know, it can have fields and, and all of that stuff. Sort of analogous to the old user-defined types that we yeah. had in Visual Basic, anyway. And uh, more analogous to structures in C and C++. So, this this is uh, the GUID, or GUID, depending on which coast you're on. I like GUID. GUID structure. Yeah, yeah, you West Coasters say GUID. We say GUID out here. <laughs> I don't know why. But uh, the GUID structure is interesting because it's very simple, and it has some. Uh, it basically 
takes the takes the role of a global unique identifier and hence the name hence the name a unique value that anytime you want to represent a unique value you can use a GUID now in addition to uh, having a new GUID method which initializes the GUID with a new value you can also create a GUID by passing in an array of bytes or a string that has a GUID representation. So if you have a, a GUID string and you want to turn that into a GUID structure for one reason or another, for type safety and et cetera, you can, you can do that by passing it in. But, but the interesting thing I like is to use the random number generator to, to generate a random 16-byte byte array and then pass that byte array into the constructor for the GUID. So now you're making your own GUIDs. You're making your own GUID. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another thing that's interesting is that now the, the GUID structure is in system, but if you look in system.runtime.interop.services, there's also a GUID attribute. Oh. That you can attach to interfaces and classes. So uh, you can just essentially create this GUID attribute and specify the string representation of the GUID GUID. So then right. you'll be giving your class some GUIDness. Yeah. <laughs> now, interestingly enough, um, here's another little factoid, that if you look in your assemblyinfo.vb, which Visual Studio creates for every project, it also has an assembly GUID attribute. It creates one. And that's okay, for yeah. that's because it needs that if if you're going to uh, work with COM at all if you're going to compile this with and access this with COM interop right. So that's just a little trip around Gwidland today for better know framework. There are GUIDs everywhere. There are GUIDs everywhere. Alrighty, I got an email for you. Shoot, let me say that again. It's a lengthy one, but a thoughtful one. Okay. It starts out, it's feedback from show 279, which was uh, the VSTO show with Ken Getz. Awesome. Which I thought was a real romp, and we've got some really interesting email from it. Uh, it starts out, gentlemen, as a frequent listener of your show, I know you can usually be counted on to press the guest to answer some tough questions, but I wanted to suggest that you guys really missed an opportunity to talk about the real elephant in the room when it comes to VSTO and VBA when Ken Getz was on show number 279. Really? Microsoft has stated with 100% certainty that the VBA runtime will never be ported to the 64-bit platform. Hmm. This means that while 32-bit versions of apps that run under 64-bit operating systems, for example, Microsoft Office 2007 and any other 32-bit app from third-party vendors that previously licensed the VBA technology from Microsoft, can still leverage VBA applications as their macro-slash-development language, any 64-bit port of those same applications cannot, by definition, use VBA in them, including future 64-bit versions of Microsoft Office. In my opinion, this is a great big untold story about VSTO and VBA. The rollout of VSTO coupled with Microsoft's statement that no 64-bit app can ever use the VBA runtime means that while the end of VBA isn't here just yet, its death is absolutely on the horizon and will be final once everything else moves to 64-bits, whether that's two years, five years, or whatever from now. 
Recall that this is going to be much more like the move from 286 to 386 in that it took about three to four years before 286 has stopped being in widespread use. You know, I got to interrupt you there. Yeah. I think that the move from 32-bit to 64-bit is has already started, and it's taking much more time than the move from 286. But it's also a totally soft migration. It's you know, a soft migration, yeah. We, it's relatively rare for us to bump into issues, and so I'm still struggling with whether or not this is actually an issue. But let's move through the rest of the email, and then we can argue it. This presents a real challenge to anyone familiar with VBA, especially those business guys mentioned in show 279 that live their whole day in Excel. When Excel 64 is released, and mark my words, it will be so that it can scale a lot better to more cells, more formula, and more RAM, all of these guys' VBA skills will be instantly obsolete and worst, incompatible. This is a further challenge to any vendor of a 32-bit product that chose to license the VBA runtime from Microsoft to enable VBA in their own app. Any customer-built VBA app that ran just fine under their 32-bit app will be need to be completely rewritten in VSTO to run under any new 64-bit version of their app. Hmm. One of the biggest victims of this is AutoCAD by Autodesk where the promise of more power, more RAM is attracting CAD users to 64-bit versions of AutoCAD, but doing so instantly invalidates all homegrown VBA applications that their company may have invested in building over the years. It strikes me as curious that in any talk like yours about VSTO, why anyone would care, this fact is almost never discussed in any great detail and is in fact rarely ever even mentioned. Unless MS changes their stance, VBA has been given its death sentence. It's just going to take a few more years to meet it out. Otherwise, keep up the good work. I love your topics and appreciate your efforts for the community and look forward to each and every broadcast. Stephen Bolin. It's interesting. You know, the, the 64-bit OS contingent out there is definitely smaller. Yeah. But uh, you could say that as these applications grow in complexity and memory usage, which they will, yes, that's an inevitable bump that we're... Well, without a doubt. I mean, we're yeah. already finding there's, there's not a processor shipping today that isn't 64-bit compatible. People are already struggling with four gigabytes of memory. Right. So we're well on our way to moving to 64-bit. There's two issues I have with Stephen's email. I mean, the first is that, uh, will VBA never migrate? And it doesn't, it does make sense to me that it probably never will. Maybe Microsoft won't do it, but somebody else will. That's it's true. Just not that hard. But there's a, there's a little cognitive dissonance here, Steve. On one hand, you talk about this taking years to happen, and on the other hand, you're talking about instant death. Nobody's stopping anybody from working in 32-bit versions of of uh, programs under 64-bit. So there will be eventually a breaking point, but it is a slow transition. Right. You can run both the 32-bit and the 64-bit version of, say, Internet Explorer on the same machine. So you might see some mix and match work going on there. But sooner or later... Old technologies have to go away. And I think Microsoft's done a pretty good job of smoothing that out. But Plus, you know, they say that it's never going to happen, but we're not at that crisis yet. And, you know, there's a very relatively small contingent, as I say, of 64-bit users right now. They're not very loud. Well, they might be loud, but there are just not very many of them. Yeah. So if... If we're really headed down that road, you're, you know, and I'm in, I'm in that group because I'm running 64-bit OS. Sure. Um, you know, that group will hit critical mass, and if it's big enough and the demand is big enough, things will change. VBA has been at a standstill for seven years. Yeah. You know, it's pretty old technology. 
But so. I got to commend him for uh, sending the email. It's great, great discussion, great food for thought. And if anybody has any comments, just go ahead and send them to us at .NET Rocks at franklins.net. You bet. And thanks very much, Stephen. We'll uh, send you a mug. Yeah, absolutely. At the very least. <laughs> at the minimum. <laughs> And uh, what else we got here? We got some conferences coming up here. Dev Connections coming right up very soon, followed by TechEd Europe. Of course, the uh, contest is still in full swing. If you want to get yourself a brain bag from Tom Bin, and if you want to get in the running for the two LCD, 24-inch LCD monitors from Dell, just go to dotnetrocks.com slash Barcelona, answer a question from last week's show, and who knows, you might be a winner. Uh, Richard and Greg Hughes are going to be, you know, from Run As Radio, of course, are going to be hosting uh, Speaker Idol at Tech Ed Barcelona, and there's going to be a whole bunch of RDs and other uh, celebrities there. So if you're if you're going to be there, make sure you try to hook up with them. You bet. Look us up. We're going to be down on the floor most of the time in the vendor space. Yep. And uh, then we're off to Dev Teach Vancouver. Yeah, coming to my town. Dev Teach is the last week of November, and if you've never been to Vancouver. You should come. It's a fantastic time to be here. It's right at the beginning of the ski season. So there's three ski mountains you can take a bus to here. And uh, the city's always beautiful. It's going to be a lot of fun. Great show. JR knows how to put on a great show. And you know, this is the first time ever that we're going to have an XNA track. So developing for Xbox, that's not a Microsoft show. It's an independent show. We've got a phenomenal list of uh, guys that are doing work in XNA. And it's so much fun just to come out and be part of the community. Go to devteach.com to learn more about that. And, uh, you know, Greg uh, Brill down at Infusion still looking for some able bodies to huff it down to New York City for a year and spend a year working in the fantastic uh, trade of finance. And, of course, .NET Programmers Wanted is the story there. They're willing to put you up in an apartment and pay your rent for a year, folks. So if you qualify, that's a that's a great opportunity for somebody who's young, energetic, and uh, a little bit mobile to uh, huff it to New York. Great, great town. Hey, and only two and a half hours from Pop Studios. So who knows? We might run into each other. Yeah, come up for uh, for uh, witness an interview live. Exactly. And if you're interested in that, go to shrinkster.com/kh6. Richard, I'm here with Rocky Laka in room 532 at the Hyatt Regency in Cambridge at Remix. Hi, Rocky. Good morning. Remix. Remix. It's fun. So uh, tell me about your whole experience here. What uh, what did you talk about and what did you see? And what's so great about Remix? Well, the experience here has been, I think, really good. The conference, they tell me, sold out at like 600 people. And, uh, they arranged it. Every, everything's been arranged well. Good food, good hotel, nice venue. People are excited. Um, I spoke about, uh, uh, with another colleague from Magenic. We talked about building an application using WPF. Uh, and, uh, originally it was going to be using Silverlight, but Silverlight's just not quite there yet. Not quite there. But they showed a nice demo using Silverlight 1. When in fact, the Remix homepage. Oh yeah, has a schedule that's done in Silverlight One, one. But but our application, our application's kind of a, a, it requires data entry and and thus needs a you know like a text box. So you built it out of WPF. <laughs> so, well, see, the the idea was to find out if Microsoft's marketing hype was real. That was a joke. 
Right. Well, I was just thinking, if he's building with WPF with Silverlight's already in alpha, what are you, losing legacy code? (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it needs a text box there for WPF, just because of where we are in time. Yeah, well, and this this is all temporary, right? Silverlight right now in its current form is really cool for showing video and doing uh, display only of, of data. Right, with some, you know, button selects and... Well, a little bit of technically, it doesn't even have a button, right? You have to go get one of their ad hoc buttons out of the SDK. Oh, really? Now, this is 1-1 we're talking about. Yeah, this is 1-1. What do we have for controls? Uh, what, a canvas and um, the ability to draw images and a text block. And yeah, I think we're stretching it at that point. Did you see the keynote? Yeah. Brad? Yeah, the keynote was good. So tell everybody a little bit about that. Well, they did a uh, kind of a montage running through all of the different apps that are built uh, really for Vista, but it's mostly WPF stuff. And uh, then they went through a series of different kinds of demos showing uh, Silverlight 1.0, a lot of um, you know vi- video display stuff and cross-platform across the Mac. and, and uh, That must have drawn a nice applause. Well, <laughs> and it was kind of funny because he's like, a couple of times did this uh, joke where he says, well, I'm going to show it to you on the Mac and I'll trust that you'll uh, take it for granted that it'll work on Windows. Right, right. You know, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, so. Yeah, you know, I'm, suddenly I'm thinking, how did we get here that we're demoing on the Mac and trusting Windows? Oh, well, it gets even better, though, because then um, when it gets to the 1.1 demo, um, you know, which, again, is display-only stuff, but... He builds this project on on Windows, deploys it to a Linux box, runs as a it web server as a web server, Apache. Uh, runs it from the Mac, and so everybody's at this point going, "Oh wow, yeah, this is." And, and that, but then uh, he debugs it, so he links the debugger from the Windows machine to the uh, process on the Mac, huh? Across the network. Wow, that's interesting. And refreshes the Mac's web page, and it goes into a breakpoint. On, on the Windows uh, development machine. Against uh, on a Linux ser- web server. Yeah, and the web server was Linux. It's mm. a, so the Mac, the Mac wasn't even talking to the PC. I can't get that to work on all Windows stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it looks so easy on stage. Oh, uh, yeah. I bet you they worked on that one for a while. But it's an interesting idea that we're at the point now where these kinds of things could be platform agnostic. Well, I mean, if we're going to be building these applications that run across multiple platforms, multiple browsers, uh, you know, this stuff is required, really. So did anybody tackle Linux, the Linux browser? Are we talking about that at Mix, or is that a taboo subject? No. In fact, Miguel uh, Diacaza, if I'm saying his name right. he's the only one, right? I mean, of course he's going to talk about it. He was up on stage, though. He was part of the keynote. Yeah. He's showing Moonlight. He he showed Moonlight. And and apparently Microsoft is supporting, helping out in the development of Moonlight. Oh, yeah. It was a very uh, collegial, um, you know, experience. Went and um, he showed the the, uh, classic chess app that that we've seen many, many times, you know, the, the JavaScript versus .NET chess app. But he had that running in Moonlight. And Moonlight, for those who don't know, is the Silverlight implementation on Linux. Yeah. Well, for Mono. For, for Mono, So right. it runs all over. Yep. And uh, you know, they were talking about performance differences. And, of course, the, the .NET versus JavaScript is, is an insane difference. Right. And 
the mono implementation is nearly as fast as the .NET one. So, um, you know, that's pretty compelling. It was, I thought that was pretty neat. I'm actually amazed that we've gotten this far this quickly. I mean, Silverlight is brand new and already uh, to have Moonlight more or less running, I guess it's somewhat a testament to Miguel's team, but it's also got to be that uh, Microsoft's approach to this has been pretty open, pretty easy to uh, to do the work. Well, yeah, I think that's true. I also think it helps a lot that um, Silverlight is a subset of WPF, and so it's, I assume, largely a matter of, of pulling out things rather than putting things in, if that makes sense. Sure. Have we really seen any .NET 3.0 implementations in the mono space at all? I think they're still trying to get two done. Yeah, I guess I'm not sure exactly where, where they are with that. I, I, it was my understanding that, that they already had two pretty well. But they're not going to do full-blown WPF, we learned from Miguel de Acaza last time we talked to him, right, Richard? Yeah, I, I, well, and I think it's an interesting thing that three is sort of a different animal in general. And let's bring it back to you for a minute. Now, you've, you're a huge Windows Forums guy, and obviously you're connected systems guy too so wpf just seems like a natural thing for you but not only wpf but wcf as well and and if you know if i was a rocky latka i would want to specialize in one of those do have you picked wpf as your focus over wcf or are you actually trying to understand both simultaneously i'm trying to understand both i I don't think that level of specialization is just not realistic um, but is it po- is it possible though? I shouldn't say that, right? I mean, people do specialize sure. in. Ooh, I'm going to be the you know the service guy, and I'm going to be so deep in WCF. Well, I don't mean that you're not that you're going to ignore WCF or WPF or one for the other or forsake one for the other. But I mean, just in terms of you know ex- being an expert in one, if you had to choose, what do you like doing more? Neither. <laughs> <laughs> Rocky misses VB6. I, uh, well, yeah. I, I like architecture. This is the problem. Oh. I, I, I really prefer figuring out how all these things plug together than becoming an expert on, uh, you know, yeah. I, I've, I've, I've never been a UI expert. Right. Well, and the obligations of a UI expert today are so vast if you're going to look at WPF. Well, I, I think, well, at this point, honestly, I think those days are, are done and, and I think that, the UI building UIs with WPF is going to be a team effort. Yeah, I, I really. I two months ago I was a skeptic. Yeah, you know, Microsoft's whole thing about um, designers and developers playing well together. I was, you know, I, I, I was not convinced. But um, recently I've been involved in some work uh, where I am convinced that that's so. Th- really does work. Now the yeah. only trick is whether or not um business people will be willing to hire designers to help build the UI, but So are you saying you have the, a designer you're working with now on one of your projects? Yes, exactly. And it's working for you? Uh it's worked better than I would have ever thought. So what's the experience? Well, what we did is went through the um analysis and design phase of this project and built storyboards and use cases. And, and so that's interesting because um, from the designer perspective, use cases don't look the same as they do from a object-oriented perspective. Right. Yeah, I bet. But but they come from the same interviews. <laughs> yeah. It must be interesting to have the totally different interpretation of the interview. Well, it, and there's overlap. I mean, you can't say it's totally different, but you know, the, the emphasis is different, right? Right. And um, 
so, but we went through that process and that was fun and interesting. And then, uh, Anthony went off and built, um, uh, some, you know, graphic assets and some screen mockups and, well, I shouldn't even say mockups really, right? Cause he did this stuff in, uh, uh, largely in blend. Cool. So, oh, wow. So it was real mockups. <laughs> right. Yeah, so they, I mean, it, they weren't hooked up, but they were the actual XAML that you would ultimately use. Yes. That's cool. And, Concurrently, I was doing uh, the object design, and I was doing the uh, um, uh, some of the database design, and, and kind of getting a lot of that stuff built. And uh, so we were essentially working independently for you know ten days, two weeks, somewhere in that neighborhood. And Anthony's right here in the room, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Anthony, you want to uh, grab the microphone and and the headphones, and we'll talk to you for a second. So, who are you, and what do you do? Uh, uh, I'm Anthony Handley. I work with Rocket Magenic. Uh, I am uh, one of uh, just a very few small group of, of people at Magenic that actually focuses on design and user interface and user experience. Wow. Now, first off, Anthony, are you wearing a black turtleneck? Uh, <laughs> you know, that uh, that seems to be the consensus. Uh, Rocky actually made a joke yesterday that during our presentation I should I should have the black turtleneck and maybe even a beret. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but uh, I, I was <laughs> because I was, you need to be a cliche. <laughs> uh, that 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 again. That seems to be the consensus. I um, I kind of expected more. I know that the the remix uh, event uh, is is really trying to include designers uh, uh, in in this in this whole arena, and I think our room had maybe five designers, and uh, the rest were developers. So. I, I think they're they're trying to reach des- uh, designers, but they're not really quite catching on. Tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, I started out, uh, I've been a, a print and a front-end web designer for about the last 10 years. And in the last uh, four or five years, I started getting more into interactive design, uh, a lot of Flash, um, and even some director stuff when CD-ROM was kind of a... A viable. So you're well schooled in Photoshop and all of that. Oh yeah, stuff. I, I live in Photoshop. Uh, Adobe and Macromedia have always uh, been a, a pretty big tool set for me. Okay. How do you feel about Blend as a guy coming from that space? I keep getting told by Microsoft it's a designer's tool, but now I've talked to a couple of designers who said, "Well, it's not really a designer's tool, but it's getting better." Well, I, I think that uh, I'm kind of in a, u- a unique position because. Uh, a, a lot of my peers don't even know what, say, Visual Studio is, right. let, let alone work in it at all. And uh, I've actually had a lot of experience working with developers and have kind of had to work in that space. So, Are you actually a closet developer, Anthony? Uh, not quite, but uh, I, know, I know just enough to get my hands dirty but uh, yeah. and not break anything. You <laughs> don't to... fear the code. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and, and most of my own personal experiences is really with just scripting languages. I mean, I know JavaScript right. and, and even ActionScript for Flash, but uh, Visual Studio um has has never i've never really been afraid of it it's uh, i mean it, again it's it's the right tool for the right job well and it's really not your realm of expertise so i mean what i'm interested in is um your counterparts in the business who are flash and photoshop savvy do you you know and i think richard was trying to get to this what what's it going to take to to get them to see the the silver light as it will as well, it were 
a couple of the guys. Uh, Rocky's groaning at uh, that yeah, joke. Oh, I'm sorry. two minutes for bad pun, please. <laughs> I'm sorry. A, a, a couple of the guy, a couple of the Microsoft guys have actually kind of pulled me aside, and and are, they're really wanting to get our feedback because I I think they realize that I'm I seem to be one of the designers that gets it. Yeah. And you know they've re- what they've really done is Blend is a tool. It's really Visual Studio for designers. Yeah. Uh, it it uh, I'm able to connect to you know I'm able to access the solutions and the projects and the same files that Rocky's using. Right. In Visual Studio, uh, but it but with a really familiar tool set. You know, it's um, anybody that's used Photoshop and Illustrator and uh, f- and Flash is going to jump right into Blend. Now, do you think just those integration tools alone are enough to or to woo people over? Because that's really sort of an afterthought. That's like the export button in Word, you know? Yeah, they. It's. I think there's gonna. I think the design community. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of, of pushback only because Microsoft has been so developer centric for so long, right? And uh, and it's it's almost like uh, again with your bad with the with the with the bad puns it's they're they're they've kind of seen the light and realized that user experience is is as important as it is and the key is is to not you know a lot of people are are very resistant to say you know oh we don't need graphic design or we don't need user interface but user experience is is really where people realize the value of it right. And, right. and I think that they, as far as getting designers uh, to to kind of buy into it, uh, it's definitely going to be an uphill battle for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're looking, like I said, they're looking to us, to those of us that that do get it, to kind of help them evangelize it, uh, even with our within our own companies and our own communities. So, right. um, I think they need to they need to have a lot of incentives um, and continue to develop the software to make it even. As a designer, do you have a wish list for Blend? Uh, I think that uh, if I if it got to the point where I didn't have to be in Visual Studio at all, when when working on a on oh, a so project you, like as this, as a designer, you still have to be in Visual Studio sometimes. Right now, yeah. There's uh, because Blend is so new. I'm yeah. even using the most recent, uh, the September uh, preview release, which is okay. like the most recent beta. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually had one of the things that we discovered was it doesn't interface with TFS server at all. Hmm. Um, Oops. Yeah, hmm. so so you know, so when I was going to check out a project, I'd still have to jump into Visual Studio and 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 get a local version, and then uh, and then I was able to access the project locally in Blend, no problem. But then still to check my stuff in, I still have to go back to Visual Studio. So, so what about designer wise, tool wise, art art wise? Uh, it's a lot of the feature sets are really comparable right now to uh, Flash a couple of versions ago. Okay. Um, I, I think they're still trying to figure out what they want it to be right. in a large sense. Uh, the the initial the initial response was that they, everybody said it was going to be the big flash killer, but it's it's really it's there's a lot of fundamental differences between what they're trying to do and what Flash is. Hmm. Uh, I, I think Microsoft and Adobe in particular are kind of going after the same you know the whole uh, rich internet application market, yeah. but from different ends. You've got Adobe. You know, trying to you know get into the developer market, and you've got Microsoft trying to get into the designer market, and they're kind of going in the same direction, but from different angles. So, hmm. uh, and and that kind of competition can only be good. As far as feature sets, um, you know, one of the things Rocky was talking about. There's a lot we can do in WPF right now. Uh, that that's pretty intuitive, mm-hmm. but a lot of that stuff won't work in Silverlight yet. So, mm-hmm. you know, they they keep talking about Silverlight, but it's you know it. Right now, it kind of comes off as a glorified media player. Being a uh, Microsoft developer is always being in a constant state of anticipation. <laughs> It'll be better the next version, I promise. It, it, it's nice. It's nice for uh, it, 
you know, I've never really been, you know, the, the overzealous religious Mac user or anything. I'm, I'm a big believer in the right tool for the right job. Yeah. And it seems like Microsoft is really trying to provide those tools. And, you know, I, I can now work with developers, these .NET guys that have, you know, years of experience and, and we can, the, the collaboration is, is really there. And, and I'd like to see that continue to so grow. So tell me a little bit more about what you shoot, showed, uh, today. We, uh, our app, um, that we have designed is, is an internal tool that came from a need where right now, um, when they're putting together proposals, uh, inside of our off, uh, inside of our own office, right now the consultants are just updating their resumes via a Word document. They're downloading it from our local intranet and then updating mm-hmm. it and throwing it back up there. Mm-hmm. So this is really a tool where, um, it's a resume search tool for our sales and marketing team hmm. and project managers where uh, if they have a need for a particular consultant in a, t- in a particular technology, you know, they need a, uh, a VB6 guy for a particular project, they can just really quickly go in and find all the consultants that have that proficiency yeah. and, and match them easier. And it was, it was a kind of a fun concept because we could uh, really uh, go crazy with the interface and, you know, there's a, it's, it's very, uh, it's very graphic and, mm-hmm. and very detail oriented. And, and again, um, still having to use a lot of, you know, I still had to work a lot in Photoshop for some of the graphics and right. stuff. So, so did any Microsoft person come up to you and say, why didn't you do this with SharePoint? Uh, no, no, <laughs> not really there. Everybody's, uh, there's, there's a real, there's a real, especially at this conference, there's a real big buy-in. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny you mentioned SharePoint cause I've actually worked with a lot of, uh, of SharePoint projects, especially mm. with Moss 2007. Yeah. And of course, the first thing somebody says is, we want SharePoint that doesn't look like SharePoint. Or of course, yeah. So uh, d- that's that's a challenge in itself. Yeah. I can't wait to see some Silverlight front ends to SharePoint. Yeah. And that's that I, you're going to definitely see that coming. There's a lot of rumblings about that. Yeah. Uh, or at least including, you know, some, some Silverlight web parts uh, right in, Share, in uh, SharePoint. So. Before uh, WPF and Silverlight, you made your living primarily as a web designer? Exactly, yes. So, I mean, you've always had that design element. I'm wondering if this is where the designers of these products are ultimately going to come from. Is that it's an extension to the skill set of a web designer? I think so, because the the nice thing about it is I, I really... The is from the technology and from the actual from my actual process, it, it didn't really change that much from what I'm doing. The the tool set right now, Blend is a great tool. Where I mean, there, it's not like I'm having to you know reinvent the wheel or learn something completely new, um, because it's it's writing all the XAML code for you. Yeah. And, and and again, uh, I'm you know I'm I was you know I've been a web designer for a while, so I started out before any visual tools were even available. So right, uh, so you I'm, tend to go to the HTML given a choice. I, I, I do, and uh, and even with uh, and and of course being the curious guy that I am, I, I still go into the code view and and look and see what's going on and right. and even hand tweak some stuff, uh, um, which. Uh, I, I, it's nice that that option's available and they haven't really dumbed it down at all, uh, for the people that really want to get their hands dirty and, and work with both visual and code. Awesome. And I got to think that XAML is much tidier markup than HTML could ever hope to be. A- absolutely. And it's, uh, the nice thing about it is the, you know, their intention is, is you can develop an application with, you know, a few minor changes. You know, your, your deployment platform is, it doesn't, isn't really going to matter. You're going to be able to deploy via the web. Uh, in Silverlight or, you know, to the desktop with WPF. So, uh, with really the same project files, you know, with only a few minor changes. So that's, 
you know, the whole concept of uh, design and develop once and deploy many times is... You know, they used to tell us that's what HTML would do. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, thanks a lot for talking to us. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Hey, this is Carl. I just want to take a minute out of the show to tell you about Telerik's Q2 2000 tools update, which can be summed up this way. Blazing fast performance for ASP.NET, WPF-like visual effects for Windows Forms, and codeless reporting. The AJAX-based content editor is now 76% faster and much more intuitive. The grid also received a performance boost, plus PDF export, frozen columns, and they've even added a new awesome scheduling component. What I find even more intriguing is Telerik's Windows Form Suite. It's unbelievable that it offers WPF-like visual effects like scaling, rotation, object motion, transparencies, and so on without WPF. As a result, you could have grids, tree views, ribbons, and more with a previously impossible level of interactivity and appeal. Telerik has recently added cab support, which makes the component set a perfect fit for large enterprise applications. Lastly, with Telerik reporting, you can create advanced business reports in Windows, Web, or PDF format using pretty much design time only. Wizards, expression builders, and converters help you with the design, styling, and integration. You'll also be amazed to see some unique features, like CSS-like styling and conditional formatting. See what all the fuss is about. Download a trial at Telerik.com, and don't forget to thank them for sponsoring .NET Rocks. All right, Rocky, so let's talk WPF. All right. You've uh, had your hands in it now for a long time. You're obviously demoing it, so... You got some good uh, insights, and I'm sure, I'm sure you've got some complaints, you know, about uh, about things that you'd like to see. You're you're very vocal in terms of, uh, you know, features I wish were there. Who me? <laughs> no. <laughs> or th- or the way things that could be done. But let's start with the positive. Let's start with the good. What's uh what is what's really impressing you about WPF? Well, I think it's fun to work with. Um. In fact, working with Anthony, this project is certainly the prettiest UI that I've ever been involved in creating. Um, hmm. I, I didn't create the pretty parts, but nonetheless. So that's got to be a pleasure in and of itself, just to have a nice front end to work against. Well, my background is is really from line of business apps. And yeah. So I'm very good at building um, user interfaces that require the least amount of keystrokes. Right, right, right. That's, right. <laughs> right. Um, that has always been the main metric. Well, and, and it's a good metric. I mean, yeah. even in WPF, it's still a good metric. Um, but that doesn't lead to an attractive UI necessarily or an intuitive one. It just is a very efficient one. And so like in this project, I was creating, um, I created the first pass of the UI, which is, um, I handcrafted the XAML. Um, but it was the most simple XAML you could create basically, right? Just um, some uh, stacked controls, text boxes, and, and labels. Did you use Emacs? Uh, no, I used I used two thousand <coughs> two thousand eight. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> I just want to see where we're going here. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you, are you going to pull out the geek card? You well, know, no, I no. Test so, you. so 
so let, let's be fair. I've, I've said for a long time dr- directly to some of the people on the WPF team that if I ever had to type a line of XAML, in my view, they failed. Right. Right. And, and so let's call it like it is. They failed. Nice. Um, cause I'm typing XAML. <laughs> now, did you have to type XAML? Absolutely. You couldn't have done, there was no tool that would have done the XAML that you had to type. Um, I technically, I think that the, um, uh, WPF designer in Visual Studio would allow me to pretty much do what I was doing, but it's so awkward and inefficient that I, I wouldn't be done yet. It's like front page for a simple web page, maybe. Well, no, not even that, because front, I, I used front page. Yeah. I mean, front page, um, was easier than creating the HTML, but in this case, that's not, true it's just too awkward it's too hard to see the way the layering works because okay. everything in wpf is all layered and you've right. got to get the right controls inside the right containers and it's just visually really hard to tell um, inside of visual studio anyway what container things are inside of but if you look at the xaml it's clear when, when you're looking at the visual studio uh, designer surface it's difficult in, in fact, I can't figure it out what layers things are inside of or outside of the containers. It's really the Z order out. that's confusing, right? Well, yeah, it's just not visually. I can't. And, and maybe it's just that I'm not used to designer type tools, but I, I can't see it clearly. And so you can use the document outline view. That helps. Do we need a 3D UI assembler? <laughs> maybe we do. Because I'm thinking, whatever happened to my good old drag-and-drop designer? And it's there. It's just not adequate for the job yet. Well, it's right. a 2D designer, and, and, you know, XAML is so 3D. It's so container-centric. Well, I, mean, I was watching Anthony in Blend, though, and he can just turn layers off. Right, which is a Photoshop trick. And mm. and I don't know that you can do that in studio. No. But, but so he can tell what layers things are on, because he just turns off the ones that are hides or whatever. Um, a bunch of them, they all just disappear visually, and what he's left with is the one that, you know, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. But, and, and so maybe that's what we need, um, in, in order to, because you can't even build a data entry form <laughs> unless you can get the right stuff inside the right containers, right. you know? You know, what's funny here is I hear Anthony saying, I still need to go to studio, and I get the implication <laughs> from you, Rocky, that you need to go to blend. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Well, but, so I didn't. Well, I would if I didn't want to do XAML, right? Right. But like I said, I created this simple XAML, which turned out not to be it's simple. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it wasn't that big of a deal. And yeah. um and then I checked it into TFS and Anthony checked it out, made it all look beautiful. And you know, so I would check in this ugly but you know, functional but ugly UI and then come back a day or two later and and um, do a get rebuild the app and all of a sudden it's beautiful and you know things are animating in and out and um, that's motivational yeah <laughs> I mean, that, yeah. yeah that's got to be nice although i mean there's an interesting balance here i always worry that that wpf is just going to give us the ability to build unusable apps beautiful and yet not functional like it's just so complicated or you know counterintuitive to the way it behaves Oh, well, that's true with every tool, though. You know, look at VB was the worst offender in that case. But, you know, the funny thing is the cream rises to the top and the uh, the garbage sinks, right? So, <laughs> well, well I, I really do think we're going to go through a period of a number of years, just like when the web was new. You know, websites, everybody, you know, some were black, some were white, some had flames everywhere. I mean, 
you know, right. Pe- and we're going to go through that same thing where you're going to run into all these garish applications. Yeah, it's going to be the 50s muscle car era of WPF. We're going to have the cyan magenta wars again. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of one of the things, you know, from the keynote, all the demos tend to look like um, uh, Vista. Right. Uh, right. And because um, that's kind of the trendy, you know, modern looking UI. And, you know, people copy what they think looks cool. Well, it used to be that Microsoft published specifications, right? I mean, the guidelines of the way that UI was supposed to look and where the menu bar went and how the button should be aligned. I mean, we had rules for all of that. Yep, but far too controlling. So Come let on. me ask you, uh, Rocky, what we asked the panel at DevReach in Bulgaria last week, which is, <clears throat> take that out, um, you've You've got Windows Forms working perfectly well, bind-wise now. You know, the binding is good, and everything seems to be working fine for Windows Forms. And now, what is going to compel uh, somebody on a project to say, you know, we absolutely have to use WPF now? Well, I mean, uh, besides the fact that, you know, uh, you know, Windows Forms is essentially no longer going to be uh, enhanced or new versions of it or whatever. WPF is the future. But what's the compelling reason? What, what would make you want to go to WPF? Yeah, what, yeah. what would make you have to go to WPF? Well, my experience thus far has been that you write a lot less uh, VB or C-sharp code behind WPF than you do behind Windows Forms. And Hmm. I think that that leads to, well, of course, I'm you know big into the whole yeah, business yeah. objects oh, thing, right? Wow. You put all all your business logic somewhere outside of the UI to start with. So we're talking UI just UI code, and it just takes more code in Windows Forms to to make the UI be responsive and to handle the navigation, yeah, um, and you know, just to the run of the mill UI stuff. Um, there's less of that in WPF because the XAML is capable of expressing so much more. Including event handlers. And- in, event handlers, but XAML's got this concept of commanding where you right. can um, link controls to each other. Um, it, it's kind of like events, but it's not right. quite the same. You know, so there's these, these constructs inside of XAML that allow you to do things that you would have had to have written code for in Windows Forms. And all of a sudden, you don't have to. It's okay. So you're not. It's not like you're not writing the code, but you're writing it in XAML instead of writing it in in VB or C sharp. And um, at, the result, though, is that it's I think more concise and and more. It's you know it's more adaptable. Well, let me ask you, Anthony. Um, do you feel confident in developing UI that has the event mechanisms and all of the things that? Uh, uh, a WPF UI would have so that you could just hand it to a guy like Rocky with business objects and, and your UI is complete with XAML? Oh, sure. The, and, and I think that's the intent, um, is to, uh, is, is to kind of bring the designer into, you know, expand their tool set and their capabilities a little bit. Um, the, the, the whole point is to, to really bring the, the control of the, the user experience back to the designer. And uh, the, the more control we have over it and uh, putting the pieces in in advance of going to the developer, uh, that's th- I think that's 
definitely going to be the way it's going to go. And the learning curve for you has been, uh, has been, what has it been like? I mean, compared to Flash or Photoshop or anything like that? Um, well, because I had a lot of, uh, I mean, Photoshop, obviously, you know, just working with graphics, I mean, there's, there's that's a steep curve for anyone who's not done it before. Yeah. (laughs) But there's, uh, but technically there's not really any programming in that. Right. Uh, you know, when you're working with flash, if you, if you really want to have any, any power in the application, you're doing action script. Right. Uh, so, uh, Rocky and I, and I have actually had this conversation where, uh, it's going to get to the point where uh, I'm probably going to be learning a little bit of C sharp almost as, you know, kind of as a scripting language, you know, going forward at some point. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's going to be a little bit of learning curve there. And, but in terms of the things that are just in XAML, like commanding and events and things like that, have those been easy to, 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 to grok for you? Yeah. I think a lot of the metaphors are the same. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, even as something as simple as, uh, as, as applying a style to a particular element, uh, it, there's a lot of parallels between, like, say, for example, CSS and HTML. Well, what about data binding? What about some of the more developer-centric ideas? That's a you know, and and working with developers, you know, I'm definitely you know, I have a little more buy-in into that and in, into the processes and what's going on. Yeah. And that's definitely built into Blend. I mean, I can you know, I right. can you know, right-click and you know, data bind something. And you feel very comfortable with that whole notion about I mean what about when you start getting into data types and casting and I mean do you ever bump up against any of those kind of issues uh, I haven't really yet uh, again you know I I'm, I'm aware of the concepts and you know I I, I know enough to be dangerous but uh, I think that that's only that's definitely going to be a part of it and I think people that are going to successfully integrate themselves into the design into the development process as a designer they're gonna they're gonna have to you know ramp up on that stuff so well, Rocky, you know more than anyone else what uh, what's involved in that. How much how much real programming stuff does the designer have to touch, if anything? I think it depends on how much you expect the designer to do. On on one level, uh, if all you want your designer to do is to um, style and and do appearance level things, um, I don't think they have to know very much because uh, the developer can set up the basic data binding and um, as long as the designer doesn't change the names of controls or the, or tweet, change the names of the event handlers, you know, click equals whatever, yeah. right? Um, basically they just have to be hands off a couple of things. They can do some pretty amazing things to the XAML, but I don't think that's really the bar that we should be setting for the designers because that, um, I think that's too low. I think that if the designer just steps up that next notch and, and gets the concept of eventing and commanding, and I don't know that they have to know data types, but they have to understand well, the way okay. the binding, the data binding infrastructure works. When I saw at the PDC, I think it was 2004, when they, we first saw expression blend demos or, you know, video mockups or whatever, there was, I think it was in the blend product, there were actually picking, um, data lists and, and, you know, connection strings and going out to SQL server and, and filling data and doing lookups and things like that. Yeah. I mean, there was much more data. I, I mean, I'm, so, I guess so maybe that was their intent, but that, of course, you know, my view on that is that your business layer should abstract all that away. Oh, well, I agree right, with that. that but, that's what, my view. but what can <laughs> they do in blend data wise that, you know, somebody might require uh, a little bit more, you know, chops. Well, I I haven't spent much time in Blend, so I honestly can't answer that. Anthony, can you answer that? Yeah, the, the, they definitely have the tool sets there, um, and it's 
it's the same kind of thing where, uh, you know, there's, there's different levels of, you know, you know, basic, intermediate, and advanced uses for the software. So I think that, uh, the, the designer that's willing to, you know, kind of take that next step and, and learn a little bit more about the process, it's only in the long run getting given more control over the experience that they're trying to create. Okay. So it's, there's, there's definitely an advantage to, uh, you know, for the, the designer to, to pick up on all that. So. so it sounds like the tools are there and if the designer really wants to, they could talk directly to store procedures and things like that, but oh, that's yeah. not something that you, I know Rocky certainly doesn't advocate that, but yeah, well, how do you feel about it? Uh, and I mean, that must give you a sense of real power. Yeah, it's well, it's interesting because uh, the, you know the you know as with anybody, you know, as far as you know what you really want to delve into and what your passion is and what you love doing. Yeah, uh, you know, there's I, I enjoy uh, almost every aspect of what I do. But if I had to, you know, sit and write C sharp code all day, uh, or or even XAML code by hand, I'd probably kill myself. So. <laughs> 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 I, you know, and I, some of us have. <laughs> I, I want to. I want to quote that and yeah. hang it up and at the at the office. It, it, it's good. It's good to know what these technologies do and to be able to have the ability to to work with them. And again, depending on the developer and the and the team that you're working with, you know the, those skill sets would you know really come in handy. And I mean, you're just making yourself more valuable to the process. Okay. So, Rocky, you talked about building the initial app with your ugly UI and then having Anthony layer his beautiful UI on top. Is that the right order? Does it have to be plumbing first, then UI? Or could he have given you a UI and then you hooked it up? Hmm. No, I think it could go either way. Um, this worked Because this is a very data-oriented application, I think the way we did it worked really well. But certainly... Um, I could have gone back into the XAML and added in the data binding links um, back into my objects. Or um, I I think, again, raising the bar just a a tiny bit on Anthony's side, um, I think I could have given him the shape of the objects and he could have set up all the binding um, entirely by himself. Um, But, you know, this was kind of experimental. and We were meeting in the middle here. Yeah. And I think it worked out really well the way we did it, but I don't, I certainly I don't think it's the only solution. Okay. Well, and I think, you know, I'm really interested in the, the reentrancy that it can go either way, that either guy could pick it up again. I still have painful memories of working with web designers where I put the page together plumbing wise. It works with a crappy UI. I give it to the designer. He makes it beautiful, but breaks something. Or worse still, he gets it all, it's all right, and then it comes back to the devs and they mangle the UI trying to make changes. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's the classic one, isn't it? Yeah. But you know, we did go back and forth. Um, because I, uh, at least a couple times built the UI, Anthony made it look nice, and then we realized that we had to add some extra information or some extra functionality. And I went back into his good looking UI and, and added some fields, um, or, or changed things around, um, and, and, and to be honest, that's harder because by the time that he's done with it, um, the, the XAML is a lot more complex. Right. And um, I was using simple structures like stack panels, which just automatically order everything. And um, he switched all those over to canvases because it gave him some much more absolute positioning control. And, and he was able to do a lot more, I, I think, creative things. 
but then it comes back to me and and uh i'm like holy cow you know how am i going to fit another field in here because <laughs> <laughs> this guy didn't write all this stuff by hand well yeah very very clearly you know well because you look at some of the positioning things and they're doubles right so it's yeah. like 281.992467 you know you're like oh yeah nobody wrote that by hand <laughs> <laughs> and you you didn't have any problems going back and forth in terms of the tools they well the in terms of the tools no the yeah. only problem i had is is like i went to add an extra link right. a navigation link and i had to get out my calculator and figure out the how far apart he put Logistics. these things you know um which in anthony's case he would have just dragged it into position with right. the tool so right. Um, yeah, that, that was, uh, that was the only real trick there. Okay. Anthony, you said the words user experience and I've heard it again and again and again, but you've made a distinction between that and UI. Maybe what I need is a designer's viewpoint on what user experience really means. Hmm. Well, it, it, you know, if it, you know, stepping apart from all of the, the abstract hype about what user experience is, it's, it's really, is do I find the application uh, easy to use? Uh, do I come away from it feeling frustrated? Do I come away from it feeling like I got something accomplished? Uh, is it a joy to use? It I, sort I, of reminds me of feng shui. Uh, yeah, a little, a, bit. a little bit. It's <laughs> uh, it's it it's it's so it's not so much. Uh, it's it's kind of a constant battle for me, uh, especially in the development world, to remind people that. Uh, you know, user experience it isn't just you know slapping lipstick on the pig at the end of the of the design of the development. <laughs> right. Nice. It's uh, it's it's definitely um, it, it needs to be part of the entire process from beginning to end. Uh, if 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 there's enough user experience and, and user interface planning at the beginning of a project, development actually runs a lot smoother. Right. Um, for yeah. for both parties, so it's uh, it's really in everybody's best interest first you know to work closer together and it's nice that microsoft is is finally seeing this and providing us the tools yeah uh i i would like to add that uh that uh even though blend is is being aimed at designers it's it's definitely something that a, a developer should have in their toolkit you know because like rocky said if he if he learned just a little bit of blend he you know probably didn't need his calculator he could have just gone in and dropped in that form field himself right and in of blend. course if he had to do blend all day he'd probably kill himself <laughs> right pro- Rocky? He, he probably would <laughs> but you know i think you're you're right i get the sense that microsoft wants devs to stay in studio and designers to stay in blend but i just don't see that happening either you're going to cross over so much functionality one of the product doesn't need to exist, or you're just going to have to accept the fact that devs spend most of their time in studio and occasionally go to blend, and designers spend most of the time in blend and occasionally go to studio. A- absolutely, and 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 just like right now, I'm you know I'm spending a little bit of my time still, and again, it's because the tool is so new. You know, blend is such a new application. Uh, a, a lot of the really fundamental stuff I still have to be in Visual Studio for, but uh, you know. Uh, on the same page, it's. I think it'd be a really valuable tool for you know. Not that a developer has to sit in Blend all day, or that it's going to ever replace Visual Studio, but to have it there, you know, if they have to open it really quick and and look at something, you know, maybe a little more visually. Uh, you're. Act, I'd act, I'm actually surprised at uh, at the develop how developers. There's a lot of developers that really can see things visually and and actually care about the way things look. So. Um, it, it's a nice surprise, but it, I think that those people are out So they there. don't all want magenta on yellow. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I'm interested in how you think on the, the UI problem. I'm very much an Alan Cooper 
mindset of, you know, there's the sovereign app that people use all the time and it's worth learning really heavily versus the, the periodic app where I pick this up once a month. And it's got to be discoverable because I'm never going to get past discoverable. I'm never going to learn the shortcut keys. Does that inf- does that kind of thinking influence your design in the in the user experience? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, I you know, in in school, we you know, everybody has to pay attention to Cooper and 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 study his methodology. But I think it goes back to the eighty twenty rule. I mean, I mean, even I mean, any application, uh, you know, you're going to use you know twenty percent of the features eighty percent of the time, right? Uh, you know, so uh, I, I mean, even something as basic as Microsoft Word, I mean, it, it does, I mean, they just keep piling more and more stuff on it, but you know, you're still spending your time, you know, you know, doing the really basic things in it, at least most of the people are. Right. So I, I'm, I, I think that people, uh, people like, uh, familiarity and they like things to, to work consistently, but people also get bored very easily. And, and, right. and people want to see new things and they want to see things continue to evolve. Well, that's and why we have spinning and flaming buttons <laughs> right. and, you know, and all sorts of eye candy. That's what it's all about, really, right? Exactly. Yeah, you know what? I'm still waiting for the new visualization in the sense of I learned more about something because of this UI. It's, I think you're going to start to see more of that. Um, it's, it's, I'm really interested, you know, when you look at, uh, the way that, like, okay, I brought up Microsoft, uh, Office, how they've got their new ribbon interface. Right. That a lot of people are really resisting. And, but there's a, there's a really core movement of people that believe that, you know, the only reason that they're resisting it is because it's new. And that once people get used to it, it's really a better way to do things. Richard, I think there's more to it than just, you learn more or you, you have more features or more functionality in the application because of the UI. I think the experience itself, the aesthetic experience is really what's going to differentiate. You know, this is the reason to move to, to this kind of stuff because it feels good to use. Yeah. But if you have the aesthetic sense of magenta on yellow, are you going to care? Well, I mean, the whole purpose of it, I mean, I can't believe you said the word aesthetic and magenta on yellow in the same sentence. I mean, <laughs> that just doesn't work, you know? I, I think a lot of the design principles that, you know, that designers go through, uh, there, there's a lot of really fundamental things that, that people respond to uh, based on things like environment and nature. Uh, you know, as far as like, you know, even something as simple as color combinations, which colors go together, that's, that, that's a very, it, it's a very natural and something that's not learned. It's just, it, it's something, it's just a part of us. So, but the way the app feels when you use it is very important. I mean, it's going to make the difference because, you know, you have to, people spend in business have to spend a lot of time with their software. And, you know, one that you're constantly click, 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 click versus, you know, when you move over it, things move and it responds to you. It's, you know, it has that more magical sense. And, and, you know, I think when it, somebody's going to decide, do I use the, the old application or the new application with the new UI? People will just naturally rather use the, the newer one. Well, I, if it's done right, uh, of course. Uh, well, sure, and it, it's funny because you know, obviously, the vi- the visual presentation part of it is is really important to get somebody in. But I've I've seen apps that are uh, ugly as sin, but completely functional and right. get the job done. You know, a lot better than something that looks completely beautiful, but you have to trudge through twenty screens to get through something that the other app does in one. All things being equal, I think that people would rather use the the nicer looking and more responsive app. Right. And, and so the key is, is to be able to, to take that app that, that has been planned 
you know, has has been a little more uh, thoughtful planning put into it, and and create the the good looking UI on top of the really functional app, and that's that's really where there's going to have to be a lot of uh, a lot of collaboration between the designers and the developers because the developers really understand a lot of that. Well, I hate to be abrupt, but Anthony, we're running out of time. Last words from you. Uh, it's it's been an amazing experience working on this project with Rocky, and uh, I learned a lot more than I ever thought I would. And uh, I feel like I've still only really scratched the surface, so I I think we're all in a really exciting time and place right now. Well, thank you for your perspective. It's one we don't get to hear too much of on .NET Rocks, so thanks. Thanks, guys. And Rocky? Well, I've had a great time on this project. And um, I, I, going into this, like I said, I was a skeptic on this whole idea of, of uh, needing a designer to be building, especially business applications. Yeah, right. Um I, I think the major hurdle we're going to face is convincing business people to spend the money um, sure. to, to bring in designers. But I also think what's going to happen over time is increasing levels of peer pressure because yeah. it, it amazes me. You go on the web and you see these spectacularly interactive um, websites now with Ajax. Mm-hmm. And you know that you can do so much more with Windows. And yet right. we don't. Right. right and and WPF with a designer with the right people involved, I think is going to let us build Windows apps that are are way beyond anything you know that we've got today on the Windows or the web. And I think that's that's exciting. This is just fun stuff. Has you there, expect your customers to demand this next? I think as time goes by, in the short term, no. But in the longer term, I think what will happen is that the bar. And this happened, has happened continually, right? We used to build everything on text-based terminals, then we went to Windows. Right. You know, and, and people are like, well, why would we go to Windows? Right. <laughs> you know, the, the bar keeps raising and, and the kind of the, the base standard that users just expect goes up. And so then the business people eventually go around and go, well, if we got to spend the money to get there, we got to, you know, that's what we got to do. You know, I got to think that it's not enough for us to talk about aesthetics and feel good and looks nice and eye candy and stuff. There really has to be some hard studies done on whether, you know, it affects the bottom line. Is it making people more productive? Is it make people more productive? So have any studies been done? That, that I'm not sure, but I, I will tell you this, that Having spent most of my career building these highly efficient user interfaces, yeah. um, you know, optimized minimal keystrokes and all that stuff, for the user that does this day in and day out, that's beautiful. That's what they want. But if you've got a, any position where you've got high turnover, those things are impossible to train. Right. And so right. Then, you, then you build these beautiful user interfaces that are easy to train but are horribly inefficient. Right. And that's not good either. And so it's really the, this this narrow balance in between where you've got a, an intuitive, um, informative, easy-to-train UI, which, which ties in with aesthetics in many ways, but it's more than that, and still is highly efficient so that all of that, um, you know, the niceties don't get in the way of the people that are using it day in and day out. Now, this is a challenge. I think you nailed it when you said high turnover. Well, what, you know, there's a lot more businesses where uh, positions are are more uh, volatile. Yes, and that kind of software user is exactly the audience for WPF. And and they're by and large they're the line of business users, right? And and so I I think there really is an economic driver behind this. Yeah, it's just a matter of of 
um, getting some successes out there in, in the market so mm-hmm. that business people look at that and go, oh, yeah. Right. right. I mean, that's what it always comes down to, doesn't it? I mean, bottom line, how does this affect our bottom line? So now that you've had this great experience with this style of app, is this the sort of stuff you're going to be producing going forward? Is everything a WPF app from now on? Given a choice, yes. Um, and, and when Silverlight shows up, I think hopefully then I'll be able to build all my web apps using WPF too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And I, I just, you know, the, the, it, yes, WPF is way more fun than Windows Forms. And even even with its rough edges, I mean, it's just it's a lot more fun. Wow, Rocky's drank the Kool Aid. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I have. It's true. Hey, Kool Aid. Well, I got to admit, you've done it on the basis of the best possible thing. You went out, built an app, and it was a good experience. And right. you want more. That's right. And I've never been a fan of HTML, and so uh, that to me, you know, that moving to WPF or Silverlight from that is a no brainer because that's you can only get better. All right, so a little bit of Rocky plug-a-mania here. What about uh, books or other conferences? Of course, Dev Connections, you'll be there. What about uh got uh, Dev Connections this fall. i got a uh, VS Live in Las Vegas, uh-huh. uh, Patterns and Practices Summit. So I've got You're going to do the Pattern Practices Summit, which runs the same time as Dev Connections? Oh, yeah, I'm insane, aren't I? Dude. Dude. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I like airplanes. So, <laughs> so you're going to, what are you doing, like the first day of Dev Connections that flying up for the PMP? The other way around. Oh, man. Yep. You're crazy. I, I Yes, I'm crazy. <laughs> These guys have got to get their schedules straight. This simultaneous conference thing, at least you're not trying to go to Barcelona, too. Right. No, that's right. That that <laughs> I well, I, I thought about it, but I just couldn't figure it out. Right, um, but then I, I'm just now. Uh, I just came out with my uh, CSLA 3.0 ebook. Cool. Okay. Um, that's I did an ebook earlier this year, as you guys know, mm-hmm. and uh, that that was well received. And so I'm doing uh, or have just finished another one. Great. And uh, now I'm going to start working really intently on uh, uh, studying into the whole link and how to integrate that into the. Uh, business object world, and uh, yeah. I'm talking to A-Press, and, and it looks like we're going to do a, uh, probably expert 2008 business objects book for awesome. sometime around next June, maybe. Wow, that's great. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Rocky. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoy it. All right. And uh, Richard and I will talk to you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a